coming in hot. We are. Guess what we were doing right before this? We were talking about how our mm-hmm. families together would be the most ultimate jingle writers ever. Yes. Apparently, by the way, this is episode 233, but Sarah's husband yep. created a song. Super good. When they take their dog to the... What do they call Day, it? Doggy daycare. Daycare. Yeah. How's the song go? It goes, uh, uh, a licking butts and meeting mutts. We're having a good time at Splash. <laughs> Have you told the people at of Splash? Of course. They should use that. That's what we said. They weren't into it? Well, here's the little detail is that we moved and we go to another place now <sighs> that it's called Camp Opie and doesn't have its song, but we still sing the splash song oh, when we okay. take the dogs. You have because to change it. Because I think it. the dogs know. Mm, they know. They know. You're going to be really annoyed by this, what I'm about to say, but I read a, a study recently and you're <laughs> going to be like, oh God, why are they still studying this? <laughs> that proves that dogs use facial expressions to elicit a response from humans. We've discussed that, yeah. But this is the thing: is like I this this is like new information that just came out. It's like people are people keep studying this <laughs> in different forms, mm-hmm. which is just giving us more information that sounds like previous studies <laughs> that I keep bringing up on here. Yeah. So that's why I figured you were well, going to be annoyed with this because you were going to say we've already talked about this, and I want to be like, but I get it it's though a new because study, though. if I if you have a dog, I'm sure there is a really strong desire to feel like yeah. they. I mean, you know, Bo. Right. My son talks about Bo all the time. Oh, she's the best. Everybody talks about her all the time. Remember recently when we talked about the pet psychic? Yes. Then we had a listener email us and say that she had gone to a pet psychic. Yeah. And she's like, some of it is like the stuff you would expect where they're like, your dog says they she loves her mommy. But <laughs> <laughs> but she did say that um, the pet psychic told her something about like the dog or the cat, I forget, really needs water. Oh. And she thought that was really weird, but then a couple years later, the cat was on, on death's door because it had some sort of um disease where it wasn't getting enough water. What? Like the body was just flushing it out or something. Whoa. She's like, "So maybe." Whoa. Well, <laughs> there's now a believer. Well, I know. I'm like, I got to take Sigmund. There's too much attitude in there for You I get, I came home yesterday. I just got these new lounge chairs, like patio lounge chairs. Yeah. Not as cool as yours, but still cool. <laughs> and they have these cushions on them and everything, and I had them all set up nice with my pillows. I came home, and it looked like my dogs had thrown a party. Um, and the lounge chairs were in other, like different places. The cushions were all over. The, I'm like, what? Shenanigans. <laughs> Back here. You need to get what we have, the cameras, the cameras everywhere, because that is some good but, times. You know, after spending 10 years on the camera, <laughs> I feel like I don't want that in my living <clears throat> Let me make a case for it. Yeah. But when we have kids, probably. Well, we have them set up throughout the house, mainly because you've scared the crap out of me when I moved oh, yeah. into this house. Well, and you're like, just you moved so into you know. a murder house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Our, Sarah told me that our house is the kind that serial killers scout for the record let's the record show (laughs) that what i said was i quote out of the book we were reading yeah i'll be gone in the dark where they said this they this house (laughs) this style yeah provided the perfect crime scene for murderers so then we invest like a million dollars in all these cameras and they go on at a certain time and then if I am up at that time, then if I were to walk through my living room, it will 
notify my phone like there is activity in the living room, right? So I sent Adam out into the bedroom or out of the bedroom. I'm like, hey, go get me some wine or whatever. And he goes out. And so then he activated the motion sensor on the way. Uh And then when he came back in, he's like, hey, I activated the motion sensor. Let's watch. And I'm like, I know what you look like. I don't need to watch this footage. And then... He played it. (laughs) First of all, he was naked. And he did like, he became like a Yeti. He was like doing this motion with his body, like a thriller choreography. And the way that the camera worked, it wasn't like I could see him walking in and then he did it. It was like he appeared as if from nowhere. So just that so alone. provides tons of activity. Yeah, but you oh. should get it for your dogs. Yeah, you can just watch because them. it's like hilarious. And I, they're, they're, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if if Sigmund is like a dictator in the neighborhood, and all the dogs come over, and he like holds court and like yeah. tells them what to do, it's and like then the like secret life. Yeah, of pets. I feel like it would be like that. My mm-hmm. dog Sigmund is like <laughs> running the show. But I mean, and then Bo's his like. If I were going to take one of your dogs, though, I would take. Bo to the pet psychic because she seems like an old soul. Yeah, and she's got stories. <laughs> I just know. I know. Um, she was a street dog till she was three. So, life on the street, man. What streets? I don't know. Some streets. I like in that, the United States. I don't know if it was. I I, I think it was like in thing. the country, like in the United States, but like out because she came from like the central California, like middle of nowhere kind of agriculture. Oh come on! They just said that to you. Well, I don't know. What, what, what? I can't even believe that could be a thing. Yeah, do- I like like a dog, like running like. <laughs> <laughs> this just in: there are stray dogs in the United <laughs> States too, Suze. <laughs> I'm just saying, like it's like news news flash for one. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that you know they have those dog catchers with the nets. Mm-hmm. Running after <laughs> those guys. I don't know, Sarah. Uh, okay, okay, stay on track. Yeah. We have a guest later, by the way, that is going to be such a great interview. Lucas Mann is his name. He has a book called um, Captive Audience. It's a, The subtitle is On Love and Reality TV. Super cool. It's so interesting. Um, but yeah, that's coming up later. I read an article. Would you like to hear about it? Yes. That... Go, it reeled me in because the title told me to eat popcorn with chopsticks. Oh, oh, okay. I can see where we're going with this. Tell me what you think. I know Slowing you I knew you'd it, get it. Because it slows it down. Our What we do is shove... I mean, if you're anything like me, <laughs> the goal of, a, of popcorn is to shove as many kernels in your mouth at one time. Well... Right? False. What? So, I mean, that... <laughs> can be a great way to slow down eating popcorn. But the point of the article was actually about how the human brain craves novelty. And that um, if you eat popcorn with chopsticks, for example, that you'll enjoy it more. Oh, that it makes much better. for a much longer article than well, because, the quick <laughs> answer I gave. Because it said in the control group, they had people eat one kernel slowly with their hands uh-huh. so they they controlled the speed for both yeah so it wasn't about the speed it's the novelty yeah and it made me think about that's a great reason why date nights are so important for married people because okay. you might be with each other all the time but you have to change the setting and you have to change the context and we even talked about the brain loving novelty and when we read hitmakers 
Exactly. And how it all goes back to that perfect balance of familiarity, familiarity. and novelty. Ding! Yeah. Yes. That's really cool. And uh, you know what it, food it reminds me of? Makes me think of when I think of all this stuff? What? Why people love lobster and crab and oysters and things where you have to... It's a whole production. It's a whole thing. And it's like kind of like you put the... And Landon was... We were just talking about lobster <laughs> this weekend, like you do. And uh, <laughs> like having this conversation. I and, saw your Insta and, story with some yummy food. Oh my God. We were just eating it up. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, he's like, oh yeah, it's it's more fun when... Like I don't want to do it at a restaurant... You know, where it's like a nice restaurant, I feel like I have to work. But I do like to do it if it's at a, like, you know, one of those, like, you're in the, on the East Coast and it's like the main cookout. Oh, yeah, like, you the know, boils. The bo- yes, where you have to put the bib on. And that, that is so fun. what he likes is the novelty of it. Yeah. It's like the bib and the cracking and the, the, the whole, like, you know. It's an event. It's not the food itself. Yeah. And, but this was saying that it will actually additionally improve your enjoyment of the taste. Oh. Which is so cool. But I just thought, well, that's a good reminder. I guess reminder. I'm bringing chopsticks to the movie theaters. Yeah. Right. I mean, I don't know. I just love simple things like that that can represent broader themes where you're like, yeah, I should apply that to parenting. Oh. Like, you know, if you're doing the same crap every day, which I'm very routine. Right. But then if you change it up, it can change the dynamic of relationships and how you see people. It, that's the same for us. Because right. we, uh, you and I see each other here. But like when we go to oh my dinner, gosh. hello, yeah, <laughs> it gets uh, interesting. Here's where, here's what I'm thinking though: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. there a point of what do they call that? Uh, 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 like a limit? Yes, like like uh, where oh, there's a specific name for this, where you get to a. A certain point, and then it starts having almost ne- the negative effect. I get what you you're guys saying. are yelling at all the sciencey people are yeah. like screaming this into the phone, and, you know, radio right now, whatever it is. Um, but <laughs> into the Victrola. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, I saw this is total aside, but mm-hmm. a whole Victrola that works made out of chocolate. What? And it was like four feet tall. Where did you see this? Well, just on Instagram, but like it really worked. What? Yeah, it was so cool. The whole thing was the sh- whole thing. It I don't, worked. I don't like. I don't know what to say. It, it's it's phenomenal. What song was it playing? What record oh. was the record? Chocolate. This is sick. It can't be. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> I'm going to gonna show you the picture. I'm going to find this. You probably. This happens all the time where you'll bring something up and then you're always shocked that I care this much. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is. <laughs> now I have to write this down. I've got to find a video. Chocolate like patrol. I'm supposed to just be like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> I thought it was going to happen here. I don't even remember the original conversation. <laughs> Another thing that's cool is having... Oh, and I wanted to say this about this product, Brooklyn and Sheets. Oh, yeah. I was thinking about how, you know, like you want to change, for example, the popcorn chopsticks thing. Yeah. But like you can't afford to redo your whole kitchen or your uh-huh. whole bedroom or uh-huh. whatever. I was just thinking about how just changing your sheets, <sighs> you can get a whole new look. Yeah. Oh, for sure. On your room and the way you know the feel i think it's cool to to have like a seasonal set to to be like you know if you if you can then it's nice to have like fall color one and i always was coveting like when i would look through catalogs of you know furniture companies and they would have like a christmas look yeah and then in spring and summer it'd be like seashells and white i mean you can change the entire room with just a a duvet color color. that's it yes yeah 
Brooklyn is so great. They are the sheets we've been talking about forever because they cut out the middleman and they're so comfortable, but they don't have that big markup. So you can upgrade your nightly routine and help you feel more rested. And it looks really gorgeous and feels good. I bought a set for one of our listeners. Do you want to hear about it? Yes. What? I get a lot of comments about our partners and people always wonder, do they, are they really good? And they, our listeners will share their own experiences, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. But there was one girl that was like, I don't know. I'm skeptical. They're just sheets. So I'm like, I'm going to buy you a set and you have to promise to give a review. And so I sent her a full set of sheets. Suze. I know. Money bags over here. Jeez. But they're affordable, so it's no big whoop. Hello. She's going to have a seasonal collection now. (laughs) She gave a review, and she was like, I was skeptical. We put them on, and she's like, they kept getting better, which is what we always Uh say. They're so soft They're so soft, and they don't fade or whatever. so nice and bright blue. I want you guys to try the luxury bedding. I can't buy them for each of you, (laughs) but I will assure you they are wonderful and underpriced. The Brooklinen sheets are the best, most comfortable sheets I've slept on. Brooklinen.com has an exclusive offer just for our listeners. Get $20 off and free shipping when you use promo code BRAIN at Brooklinen.com. Brooklinen is so confident they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all their sheets and comforters. The only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use promo code BRAIN at Brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K. L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code BRAIN. They are the best sheets ever. All right. So what else do you want to talk about? Uh, okay. Okay. This yeah. is, would you like to know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, the history of? Always. New car smell or <gasps> toothbrushes? Oh, this is so D- hard. Dentistry or <laughs> new car smell? I'm going to go with new car smell. Okay. What do you think a new car smell is? Do you first of all, do you like a new car smell? Yeah, we all do, right? Mm-hmm. And so, interesting about the new car smell. I was re- do, like listening to this whole thing on like what is new car smell. Yeah, but I really thought they were going to tell me it's a combination of like lavender and leather and blah 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 blah. blah. <laughs> the weird thing about people reporting the new car smell is that every single person—well, not every person—but majority of people all report different smells. Like there's no consistency in you the report. You have got to be kidding. Absolutely none. What do you consider? Because it? Okay. what it is, is our emotional tie to getting a new vehicle. The actual thing that we're smelling are volatile organic compounds that are chemicals that are being released from all of the yeah, plastics like material. They're basically, yeah, I'm and all the doctors, <laughs> right. The doctors who were like being interviewed for this said, it's almost dangerous to be huffing the smells of a new car smell. Like, don't get... If you could bag it, it would be the same as sniffing glue. Yeah. And and I like to do that, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, they said, like, the film, you know, when you get it, like, in newer cars, there's a, almost like this foggy film that is on the inside of your car that you'll have to, like, wipe off sometimes. Are oh. you familiar with this foggy... It's, um... There's, like, a film. That is the the gases that are released and so they said it's not really that we like it's more like we like the act of getting a new car so therefore we like the smell of are a new you car sure? positive i and then i even dug deeper into this i'm Ugh. like we need is this because that was just one that was like vox's video like but let's yeah. see what else is out there every single 
article was like, you like volatile organic compounds. And it's all a psychosomatic thing. It's like our mind is attached to, we like a new car that smells like this. Therefore we like that smell. So if we walked into a room that had that smell, you wouldn't like it. Get out of here. For real. It's like a mental attack, like a tie that that combination of if though, if there were different combination of those smells and they weren't attached to buying a new car, you wouldn't like it. It's the context. Mm-hmm. It's the context. I am so bummed out. Yeah. So now I'm like, do I even like new car smell? Like when I go for that air freshener, do I even? (laughs) And then the fact that we're buying air fresheners that are the scent of things that are toxic and are trying to kill us is a crazy thought to me. Right. I've had that air freshener. (laughs) Right. It's like, new car smell. I'd like toxic chemicals, please. Can you put that in a can? (laughs) I mean, I think it's, it was obvious to you that it wasn't a natural yeah, but I thought that they were going to say, I thought they were going to say like something about, okay, maybe this sounds dumb, but I almost thought it was like they were going to pick out notes. Like when you sniff a wine and you're like, <laughs> oh, I can like smell the cedar and I could smell cedar. the, I don't oh fucking God. know. I thought it was going to be like, and then I thought maybe that just luxury cars had all those really nice like material, like materials yeah. and that those, you know, you go into like a nice old library and it all smells like rich mahogany and <laughs> you know, so I was thinking maybe that they're like, or like the leather of luxury vehicles and they just mimic that scent in cars that are okay. not as but luxury. But leather does smell good on its own. That is true. But then they have a different air freshener for that. It's called leather. Oh, really? Oh well, yeah. I mean. I didn't know. I've never seen the leather air freshener. It's brown. And the little, the little tree is brown. Isn't that funny when you do a wine tasting? Some people say they taste leather. Oh, because that's I, on the spectrum. It, totally of flavors for sure. So is and once you know them, like asphalt tires, like for minerals. Sure, I've experienced that. Yep, yep. Like I always say, it's tar. Yeah, it but is. It's whatever. like basically that's like a, a lot of minerals in it. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it makes sense because the scent and taste function. Right, but leather is not. Uh, but it has but you a smell. smell. Yeah. yeah. But so then when you have some wine, you're like, this tastes like my bitch in leather jacket. <laughs> yeah. Did you see where I commented on your Instagram? Oh, no. You had a leather jacket on recently. Yes, and I, was I like, did. I put beauty and you like that. Oh, I but didn't then I see wrote later. <laughs> I wrote later. And also, that's a bitch in leather jacket. Thanks, Seuss. Yeah, you really handled that well because it was like, <gasps> yeah. it was like a Stevie Nicks like leather and lace situation. Oh, that's what I was going for. Were you? Soft and hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, like a good cheese platter. <laughs> By the way, I don't know if we've talked about this, but it. I'll do it again. I don't care. Sarah on Instagram has... You can see for yourself if you go to her Instagram, if you go to like what she follows, there are two hashtags. One is her graduate student body, whatever, and one is cheese board. (laughs) I'm so glad you brought this up because this, no joke, happened. This existed right one after the other in my Instagram feed this morning and I took a picture of a screenshot of this because I was like, this has to come up again and I have to show Susie this. So it's one of those like um, meme accounts called Moist Buddha, which is real funny. And it's somebody else's tweet or somebody else. Yeah. Somebody else's tweet. And it says, you can control white people by giving them cheese. The very next account, <laughs> my hashtag cheese boards. No, no. I, sw- I took a picture of it. I was like, this is so funny that that came right after. Wait a minute. First of all, let me see. Look. That's funny. You can control white people with cheese. <laughs> next post, 
cheese, cheese boards. boards. And I was like, they're fucking right. I gotta like that. Why though? Why? I didn't know that it was a white people thing. I mean, that's embarrassing. I. That we love who else is dumb enough to pay $13 for two <laughs> ounces of mold? But it's delicious. Oh, it's so fucking good. It's so good. I really thought that it was global. Like, it was like Benetton. Everybody loved <laughs> cheese. United Co- mm, It's European because you know what? Oh. You can't really get that. Okay. Cheese doesn't okay. really exist in the same way. Did we ever have a good cheese plate in Brazil? Maybe a good charcuterie. Right. But no cheese. More meats. More yeah. meats. That's a really good point that I sure as heck never thought about. Yeah, check your cheese privilege, Suze. <laughs> it's so true. Uh, I do eat a lot of cheese, but I mean, I don't think that... Does that... What's the vitamin in cheese? Calcium? It, yeah. Vitamin yeah, yeah. D? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. But you know what? We don't get enough of that. No, we don't. And the beautiful thing is there's ritual with oh vitamins, God, which them. fill in the gaps that you have in your diet with vitamins and stuff for your hair, skin, and nails. But also, like, I've always had the trouble, as you know, Mm -hmm. where I take a vitamin and then I want to puke. Right. You can't swallow them. And so I just stopped taking vitamins until Ritual because they have the mint flavor. Why did it take so long? What the heck? This is what I'm saying. What took so long to figure this out? And then when I take them, and you know when you burp after you have, like, fish oil and it tastes disgusting? It's so gross. This time I burp and it's like minty freshness. It's really nice. They have uh, mint essential oils going on in there, um, which help solve that problem and their time release. So then you don't get that sick feeling when you take them. Um, but I have a vitamin D deficiency. My doctor told me as well as magnesium. And so this helps me with those. You move to California and you get a vitamin D deficiency. What's going on here? I know it's, well, a lot of us live sedentary lives. So even Mm -hmm. though it's sunny out, we're inside a lot. Um, but this helped fill that gap and it's a subscription based company and if you, it's easy to handle, like you can change when it comes. Like if you forget to take it for a few days and you're not ready for your new bottle, they can snooze the order, et cetera. And um, if you go to ritual.com slash brain candy, you can choose clean ingredients backed by science. Sign up now, ritual.com slash brain candy. 95% of women do not get the vitamins and minerals they need on a daily wow. basis. 95%. That's ever, that might as well be everybody. Who are and, these five women who have their shit together? <laughs> Ritual created a smarter vitamin with the nine essential ingredients women lack most. So go to ritual.com slash brain candy and give those a try. Um, okay. What else did I want to talk to you about? My God, did you read about the stonefish? It's like the scariest looking fish in the world. You know how sometimes you'll yeah. see these fishes and you're like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I feel like I know what this one looks like. Yeah. yeah, well, they just discovered that in addition to being horrifying uh-huh. and poisonous and oh. bites people, oh, it friendly. carries switchblades in its cheek. No. <laughs> Stop. And it'll be like... Wouldn't swift- it be like God's joke if he had a great sense of humor? Something like that was like the funniest fish in the ocean, but nobody wants to give him the time of day because <laughs> it's a empty show. Isn't that terrible? Can't fill, can't fill the room, and right. it's just so funny because he's got the he's like what, and then and then out <laughs> the cheeks come these switchblades that'll <sighs> kick your ass. And he's just like a real nice guy, but he's not. Can't catch a break, Sarah. If you saw this thing, you would be singing a different tune. Mm, he can go hang out with the blobfish. Did, these do guys you are watch ugly. the um? Michelle Wolf show on no, Netflix. No, I haven't. It's really yet. good, and she was. T- I want. I love her. She did a great job of talking about 
the Kate Spade, Anthony Bourdain sadness, which I don't want to even talk about because it's like too sad. But she did a great job of talking about how life is so hard. And I say that I said that in my interview for school, I said, it's fucking hard to be a person. It is so hard. And she's like, and like, when you think about the ocean, it's terrifying. We don't even know what's in most of it. And the stuff we do know is so scary. And I was like, yes, this is why everyone is in the same boat, rich, poor, famous, whatever. Mm -hmm. We're all just getting through it. We're trying. And you know what? When you break it down, it's all the same shit. Mm -hmm. All we want is to be loved. Okay. All we want is to not feel lonely. It all comes down to the same basic needs. Sarah. Yes, Susie. You bring bring me to my next point. Great. Uh, I, you know, I'm obsessed with Mr. Rogers. He has a movie coming out. So I have this like... Mr. Rogers rabbit hole going on on YouTube where I'm watching like interviews that. Where, yeah. where that he did in the eighties. He went on the tonight show, which of course was hosted by Johnny Carson. When Johnny Carson was away, Joan Rivers would fill in. Oh, I love that. So Joan Rivers is the host and Mr. Rogers comes in and I'm thinking like, Oh my God, this is not a match made in heaven <laughs> because for all of his virtues, Mr. Rogers is a little bit serious uh-huh. and like he can laugh about stuff, but he's not irreverent. Uh-huh. And John is. Yeah. Well, anyway, the interview was great, but the best part for me was when Joan is a mother and her, she talked about Melissa and she said, you know, Melissa's favorite song of yours was, um, that song. It's you. I like, do you know that Mr. Rogers song? It's, it's you. I, I like. like. Yeah. Well, I'll be oh, damned. Oh, I'm getting, oh, he's feels. saying it to her. Joan Rivers, right there. Did she cry? Of course. I know. I was. I'm like. I'm about to cry. She turned even thinking into of it. her four year old self. Yeah. She pulled the cardigan he had given her over her head, like oh, you would if you were yeah. a kid. And he did not let go of the eye contact. Oh. And he said, "There's That's part therapy, of the song. Man. I have chills. There's I am. I'm like about to cry right now. Where he says to the kids on the show, um, "It's not your toys. They're just beside you." But he said. It's not your jokes. They're just beside you. And I mean, she was disarmed. Oh, I know. Oh my God. I'm getting all the feels right now. I can't even help it. And what for me, like I talked about it later with Adam sobbing like a lunatic in a restaurant. And I said, (laughs) here's why this is so important, especially right now. We all just want to be seen. We want to know that someone loves us just the way you are. Yeah. Not your clothes, not your hair, not your jokes or your toys. That's all we want. That's all everybody wants. And we aren't getting it. No. Because we're putting pictures on Instagram or we're, you know, doing whatever, working too hard. Mm -hmm. And we just want to be seen. And the stuff that we're showing isn't this true parts of ourselves that we want to be seen. And if it was, if like, if you were posting those things, people wouldn't like it probably as much. You know, that's like the sad part because they'd be like, oh, including me. Like when we saw someone that we know with tinfoil curtains, Uh I mean, we weren't like, oh, that's too bad. We were like, what a loser. (laughs) So, I mean, we're all foil. We all have tinfoil curtains somewhere. (laughs) But when I saw that, I thought that's why he's so important because he reminded me. When I see someone and I make that connection, that matters. So much. And we all need that. 
I wouldn't be doing the job future that I'm going into if I didn't really truly believe that. Yeah, and what you're being paid to do is freaking see people see who people. maybe aren't seen normally. Yep, yep. and I, I hope, my goal is that if I can see them in that room and I can hold that space for them, that they can know that they're worthy. If, if somebody they barely know sees yeah. that in them, then somebody else can also see that in them and love them. And hopefully the people that are within their own family can see that. And when you can get that acceptance from the people that you want to love the most, yeah. oh, it'll, it's so, we just need well, more connections. And I think the Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade thing at least did something in the way of saying that sometimes the people that you suspect have mm-hmm. it all don't. I ha- I don't know if you guys noticed, but I'm a little high strung <laughs> and I get anxiety. Yeah. And whenever I go to the doctor to get um, medicine for anxiety, I feel like I have to convince her mm-hmm. because I seem fine. It's one of the most <laughs> difficult things. It's like a duck on the wa- on, on the waters. The analogy I use is like, it looks like it's you know gliding along smoothly, but underneath, if you look at what the feet are doing, yeah, they're going a million miles an, uh, an hour. And like, God forbid, something happens to that poor duck where there's some trauma, where his foot is like, and something prevents him. And then they swim in a circle. It's the same thing for life, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, you might think you might look at someone and think they have it all together, but they often don't. And um, we could all uh, yeah. use a little bit of like just acceptance acceptance you know like you're fine you're enough everybody's enough and if you do want to cry watch these videos of mr rogers i'm I'm just thinking (laughs) of it i'm like that is just magic it was if you can disarm joan rivers yeah you you really are something anyway moving on Hmm. uh it's lovely yeah thank i really appreciate that you appreciate me i feel seen right now i see you Um, oh, I wanted to talk about something that I knew you would be into because remember how you had that incident? I think it was with the OXO company. Oh, those mother What do you call them? They, it's OXO. Yeah, the, okay. the, the pots and pans. I never know if that's how I you pronounce it. I still have a, a few words for them about their stupid kettle because now we got another item by them and I'm like, stop buying their products, Landon. We talk about this fucking kettle every morning. This is really kind of ruined my whole story, but oh, sorry. I love their products. I don't know what's gone wrong Ugh. with you, but the article that I read was about how the company was founded. The wife, the woman uh, who founded it, had arthritis. Oh no! Now I have guilt. <laughs> and she was often in the situation with like scissors and tools that were really not good for her uh, disability. And so she was trying to design products that solved the problem that she in particular had, but really everyone can use a better designed can opener. That is true. Or whatever. However, people with arthritis probably would not like a pan that did not evenly balance on the stove. Well, she did sell the company, so she's not doing it now. So okay. maybe these well, new clowns are clowns. <laughs> Go back to the original they, mission. I was just really, it was in the New York Times. I'll put it in the newsletter. Um, it was a really interesting story. Number one, because women um, are often overshadowed in the business world mm-hmm. by like her husband got all the credit for the company because yeah. I think he was the technical CEO of it or something, but she was the one doing like 
the design on the these things. inventing of the product. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, at that time, I don't let's put it this way. <laughs> women were spending a lot of their time in the kitchen, so it's like, why not allow the people to use who use the products most often? I I don't want you know. I don't know. Give me some example. I don't want the person who's like selling me clothes at Nordstrom to also be like making, I don't know, fill in some analogy here. This is, like no, computers. You're leading right into what my, the, a different article I read talked about with regard to architecture and design in general was talking about how women are now being totally. recognized, but in the classroom, parks, anywhere that women yes. were having to be all the time I feel like cars too oh maybe they like didn't the mention design that, but... of because i feel like what a, a mom uses a car for what somebody who's transporting oh, like a, a family <laughs> uses a car for is yeah. very different than my husband uses his car to get from point a to point b and that's it i use mine um, for everything in between that we could possibly do with our family yeah, that's a good point. So, and like, I'll tell you where things need to go in this car because you don't need to use it. It does seem like that with, like, when you see the ads for, like, minivans, how they're like, now it has a vacuum in it mm-hmm. for, like, Cheerios. Well, that you're- <laughs> awesome. I want that. <laughs> um, but I just thought, I'm so glad to hear that the the spaces that were occupied by women and the advancements that they created within those spaces are now being acknowledged as at the same level as the architecture of a home or a building, which got all the flashy, like, Uh oh, look what they made. But now they're starting to say, oh, these spaces, even though they were more feminized, are just as important and revolutionary. Yes. So I like that article too. Mm -hmm. So I'm just like championing women today. I don't know what to tell you. Keep it up, girl. Wait. Oh, why can't I hear it? I was playing the badass bitches stinger. Here, I'll get it for you. Okay. I just heard this. I heard the really kind of. I mean, it's like a little uh, analogy that's kind of been circling around in my mind a little bit. Okay. Um, I've recently been reading a lot of studies on memories and how when we go back and access them, they always change. Me too. Me too. What was really? I reading? What were you reading? Was I reading the same thing? Oh, it must, it may, wait, what if it's, oh my God, I love how excited you are right now. This is like my favorite. I want to capture this in a bottle and just like let it out every now and then. It had to be the same thing. That's why Mine was a, could this eternal sunshine of the spotless mind really happen? Oh. Like, could we erase memories? What do you think? Because they've, I think so. They've like isolated a, 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 I think it's a protein Propanolol, it's like a drug that they can inject into certain areas that will cause you to detach from the emotional connection to the memory and it'll see it'll help you see the memory very linear and so if you take away the emotion of it then it doesn't hold on as strong in your mind it doesn't like create as strong of a synapse to those emotional places and they're using it very successfully with PTSD we read the same thing, and, okay. but it's bothering me that I don't know what it was. Yeah, I I think it's probably that this is a recent. This is like a study that maybe just came okay. out, and they've like collected. Because uh, then I I went down like a rabbit hole of reading a bunch of stuff on this. Yeah, I'm sure somewhere the lines crossed of articles or like there was an overlap. And right. this is the analogy. That's that, the medicine that they use for blood pressure. I think yes, I think so. I think it does. It helps. Um, uh, it's like for. 
heart rate, like to make, yeah, I guess blood pressure. Like it's to stop that adrenaline response. Like if, here's what's going to happen when we're done recording, I'm going to remember where I read it and yeah. then I'm going to edit that in to okay. this moment right now because <laughs> it's making me crazy, but go ahead. Yes. The analogy that they used that I really loved because it's so interesting that when we go back and access each of those memories, they're changed every single time. Yes. Or so, they can be. Yes. They're elastic. Yes. So they can be strengthened or weakened. Yes. And, and alt based on, cause everything is just a, uh, like if you break down a memory to the most basic, it is a, an electric impulse going from one synapse to another, but it happening across a whole bunch of different synapses. So it's like making different associations and connections. And a memory is really just an, a way that we associate what's happening right now with things that have happened in the past. So if you can like break those associations, then you can theoretically erase the memory. And so what they said that has stuck with me is that memories are like a bar of chocolate in the refrigerator. And when every time you go back and rethink about whatever that memory was, it's like taking the chocolate bar out and holding it in your hand for a little bit. And no matter what you do, every time you go put it back in the refrigerator, something about the shape of that chocolate bar has changed Mm -hmm. a little bit because your hand is, you know, just it's being taken out and being accessed. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what we do with memories. So like you can't trust your memories and it's crazy. I I hope they can do it someday because there's a lot of crap I want to get rid of. Well, that's the ethical line that they were like, we don't, that kind of like worries scientists because it can be used for good and it can be, it shouldn't be used. Like there's a very important reason why we have memories. Yeah. We wouldn't like those. It's very, they're crucial. They, we need them to make, you know, for the future and people who haven't gone through traumatic events have a harder time, you know, dealing with any problems in the future. And if you had have dealt with something difficult, then it's easier to deal with things later because we have those memories and we're like, Oh, we got over it. So it's super important. And they say that the, the, what they're worried about are people who have a lot of resources, just being able to pick and choose the things that they want. Like let's erase the, you know, some really rich guy total like kills somebody while texting in a vehicular manslaughter situation, and then he gets to erase that memory and not have to deal with any of the like. Right. Is that fair? How, is that fair? Yeah. And then really, it's who has the money to be able to do that and who doesn't. Right. Ugh. right. That could create a really world of people who never thought they ever did anything bad. What would that do? It's it's troubling. It's always been troubling to me how um, unreliable memory is. Yeah. I mean, even if we're not even talking about like eyewitness accounts and the problems oh, there. Oh, so unreliable. I mean, that's a whole terrible thing in and of itself. But even just like pra- for our own lives mm-hmm. and memories of our past and you think you got it all. You, you, know. you know. Yeah. And I that bothers me. It bothers me so much. Because you can feel certain. Yeah. And then it's not the way. And if it Laura Liani taught us anything, you're obsessed with that. That's the third time you brought it up. Why? I read an article about how the reason why people get so worked up uh-huh. about that stuff is because it really does make you question, like, truth with a capital T. Don't you think it's the same reason I get excited about magic? <laughs> oh, I think that's because you're a dork. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> no, I I know what you're saying. Yeah, it you people who don't care about like <laughs> we've been over this about the people kind of people who are like whatevs to magic. 
I know. Often I love they're you. like, oh, true. Man, true. What, they don't care about anything. <laughs> Sarah's so defensive. Magic is really cool. Okay. It when someone does it well, oh it is. God, the problem the is there's a lot of really crabby magicians. Oh, I just saw somewhere like a magician that I follow on Instagram. Yeah, I follow more than just cheese <laughs> horse. Right. Um, she's a magician. I should log into your Instagram and start adding hashtags like just for a prank. Wait, you know what? Just for, uh, side note, my Instagram often has people that I'm following that I swear I did not follow. Like who? Like random, like some like woman blogger from like oh, okay. Texas, like that. weird ones. I didn't do that. Where she like loves the Lord and I'm like, I why that's oh, really strange. Yeah. Maybe it's a sponsored one. No, <laughs> so, like I and this happens a lot. Where I'm like, I did not follow any you- fucking people. What? <laughs> this is just facts, Susie. Just I need help. So what do you do? Unfollow them? Yes, all the time. I'm unfollowing people, and I'm like, either that or what if I were like <laughs> drunk following? Like what if like I'm super religious when I'm boozed you. up? That is what is happening. It's not because I never get like that. I'm going to start monitoring your activity. You should. Because See who I follow. I, think you, I wonder who. Because you do get silly when you're late at night and you start texting me stuff. <laughs> That's probably true. Yeah, I, should... I could see you being like, oh, this lady from that Austin looks interesting. Beep, boop, boop, boop. Okay. I definitely would do that. I'm like, oh, cute outfit. Follow. And then I'm like, the bar for a like is so high, but then a follow at two o'clock in the morning. Oh, I'll do it to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it really is disappointing to me that I haven't gone and done more nonsense in your, your account. <laughs> what have I been doing with my oh, life? I maybe feel- that's why you've gotten the privilege to have access to my <laughs> account. <laughs> I feel like you would never take it away from me. No, I would never. Because you love me and you know how much it mm-hmm. means to me. I do. <laughs> I wish it showed you the order that you followed people in. It like, used to. I did used to. I know. They've really fucked up. You know who's giving me life right now and I am so in love with? (laughs) Jonathan Van Ness from Queer Eye. Everyone's loving him. (sighs) Like the most. (laughs) Because he's emotional, right? Yes. And he just sees you. Like he sees all those Queer Eye guys. See the person. Wow. I know it. And when he talks and he's like, and he listens. And that's why the show's doing so well. The show, oh my God. I binge watched both seasons in like one sitting with Landon and like we were both crying. I haven't met anyone that didn't like it or didn't right. cry or whatever. It's phenomenal. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm Are you just following like, him? Yeah, yep. I, that's what gave me that <laughs> idea right now. Cause I, and he gave me lists of things that you're doing wrong about your hair that oh, you should be doing different. I should follow him. Yeah. For real. Um, well, I've been posting as you saw, cause you know, it's anytime it's sunny out, I'm going to be outside. Are you about to talk about your bikini body? Yeah. Girl, I be- you look so good. <laughs> Do you really think that? What? Yes. I don't know. I don't know what's true anymore with you. Well, I think that we <laughs> give people, uh, they get to see two. I have, we have very different bodies and it's yeah. nice that you, we, Get to I showcase like both hot bods in bathing suits and be proud of what we got. Yeah, I 
when uh, in bikinis more often because we have a pool. It's not like I'm turning. That's not my new brand or something. I thought it was. I'm like, damn, <laughs> I am on board. Susie is, like gets a pool. I'm gonna start like I upped my bathing suit game. I went and bought one yesterday. I almost brought it here because I was like, we need to take more pool shots. I got to be competing with this broad. I do really like though that you're you're right that we have totally different body types and approaches to athleticism yes. as well, and that. I think that's so cool to celebrate both mm-hmm. styles. Anyway, I'm like, I need to get jacked. No. And Susie's like, I'm just like about consistency. Yeah. I, I like to keep it real simple. I, I use Beachbody. People keep asking me. Um, and, but they're like, what programs? I'm like, the shortest one. See, this is one where you're like, you're like, people keep asking me and they actually are yeah, asking yeah, yeah. you. Like, it's a real thing. <laughs> they are. They are. They're just sort of like, whoa, I was thinking about doing Beachbody and you know, what do you, what programs are you doing? Cause they have yoga, they have P90X, yeah, what they are have, you doing? I just choose, you can sort by length of video, oh my God, you're so funny. Sarah. And so I choose less than 10 minutes. <laughs> And so that's what my because that's doable for me. Yes. Well, you yeah. found the thing that works for you, and you're consi- and the, that's really the trick is just consistency. Yeah, and what works for me wouldn't work for other people, and they have hundreds of effective workouts for all fitness levels. Whether you're just sort of like me, more of a sitter, mm-hmm. or if you're <laughs> Sarah, more of a walker and a mover and a shaker. Um, but I really do like them, and they keep me consistent and accountable. Um, and our listeners can get a free special trial membership when you text brain candy all one word no spaces to 30 30 30 you get full access to the entire platform for free all the workouts nutrition information and support totally free again just text brain candy to 30 30 30 now i want to invite or uh, introduce our guest lucas mann who kindly agreed to come on the show after i harassed him on twitter his book is called captive audience on love and reality tv Excellent book. If you, I mean, everyone watches some reality TV. Oh, yeah. It's impossible not to. Yeah, whether it's like the competition shows like American Idol or if you're in Top it. Chef. Yeah. Um, and he really does such a great job of unpacking why we watch, um, why he watches, mm. what it makes him feel. The most interesting parts for me were about like Rob Kardashian. Oh. <gasps> He oh really talks a lot about that. Well, because I think that anybody who, like we said, can see people, can see what's going on, yeah. and it's a sad situation. Yeah, and when he wrote the book, it was before it got really sad, uh-huh. but even at the time he wrote it, you know how like Rob was kind of on, but he didn't want to be, yeah. and there was this weird disconnect between like his sisters and how yes. they've used the medium yeah. versus him and how he felt about it. It was clear that it's like a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Nightmare. Oh my God. It looks like that. So, um, I really recommend this book if you want to like take a little bit of a closer look at reality TV, but it's not like dense and, you know, academic or anything. Yeah. It's like from a viewer's point of view. That's cool. Really good. And I think that the interview will shed some light on his style, but it's Lucas Mann and it's captive audience on love and reality TV. Welcome to the show. Okay, first of all, congratulations on your book, Fancy. I mean, I freaking <laughs> loved it, and I'm so glad I harassed you into talking to me. Thank you so much. I'm I'm really glad that you Twitter not harassed me, but just got <laughs> in touch with me. Are people, like, barking up your tree big time now because it was such an awesome book? 
Uh, no, I could stand to do with a little more tree barking. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's one thing that, that is interesting to me. I think it, this is my third book, um, but maybe comes into more clear relief, uh, writing about people who are, um, actually celebrities in some way, um, is sort of how quiet books are that, that, you know, whatever, whatever sort of voraciousness, um, exists for for tv just doesn't at least for most books right so you might be saying these really big things but it might feel like a whisper in terms of all the noise of everything else yeah and i would i would say and i don't this is just speaking for me but i, I think talking to other writer folks too i do think that like the past few years or the past couple years somehow feel even more it's even more strange to sort of put a a book that you've spent years on out into a world that is uh has a lot of things to talk about very fast (laughs) right well and you kind of even spoke to that at the end of the book when you mentioned how reality tv itself is so fast in its evolution or de-evolution whatever and (laughs) like the characters that you mention their lives have dramatically changed even since you wrote the the pages and that's a strange thing right yeah, I mean, it's one of the things that I think surprised me of how strange it was, but, you know, like I, I wasn't trying to, when I was writing, sit down and sort of be as up to date on everything that I was writing, but I was, you know, writing is a slow process in a lot of ways. So I'd be writing about these, these thoughts that I had and these memories that I had and what felt really recent about these people that I'd seen on TV. And then I'd be writing something uh, and then happen to read an article online that would suggest that everything that I had felt about the scenario that I was watching on a show had like radically changed in the two months that I hadn't watched. Um, and it felt really weird how the timing of writing versus the timing of reality TV celebrity felt like exactly the opposite for a while. <laughs> right. Well, cause I, I have never written a book, but I imagine that it is a, a very strange and isolating experience and you're totally immersed in this content and then all the while, the rest of the world is moving. It's like Narnia or something. Yeah, that's a that's a really uh, <laughs> that's a really good way to put it. And it's it's even stranger, I think, or I've found, I guess, this time when you're when you're writing about the world that's moving. Right. So <laughs> right. It can be kind of comforting to write a book where you're like, great, the world's moving, but I'm in the middle of this book which isn't moving, <laughs> uh, and so I can just sort of be here. Well, it's fantastic and i cannot wait for our listeners to read it so that i can talk to them about it because obviously my co-host and i have an incentive to be interested in this topic but you did such a wonderful job of describing it because you're a consumer of reality tv but it is you wrapped it up within your own love story and your own narrative and i wondered why you chose to take that approach yeah, I will. So first of all, like just reading about your podcast and then the fact that you guys are coming from the background that you're coming from and talking about this stuff outside of that. Now, like it, it just feels perfect. So I appreciate that. Um, and, and then, yeah, for me as a viewer, like I I realized that I wanted to write about these shows that, that I watch and love and, and I wanted to try to write about it in a way that felt like it sort of honored the fact that whatever you want to say about various reality TV shows, like if you're a fan of them, they play a a pretty big part in your life. You spend a good deal of time watching them and talking about them. Um, And then through that, I I sort of realized that 
maybe more than other forms of media, I think there's something social about watching reality TV that might stem from this, this like weird, it's almost like you don't want to admit to drinking alone, you know, that, uh, <laughs> you, you want it to be the shared thing. Um, and so for me, it was, it sort of became obvious that like, actually me talking about my history as somebody watching and thinking about reality TV was also essentially like tracing the history of my relationship with my wife and this weird thing that for better or worse, a good chunk of our time spent together has involved like, you know, re- sitting down and watching and really enjoying Vanderpump rules, for example, that, 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 that thing is a fabric of sort of our shared lived experience, whether we acknowledge it or not. So I am not a viewer of Vanderpump rules, but I'm aware <laughs> of how uh, people are obsessed with it. And I'm yeah. wondering what is it about that show in particular that is so addicting and uh, it captures their attention? Yeah. So for me, um, and I like, to, I feel like sort of a, like a hipster with a band. I feel like I got in early on Vanderpump Rules. <laughs> right. um, but there's, there was something in like 2011 or 12 when, when we started watching it, my wife and I, it just, it felt like, like this weird, like the idea of reality TV in my mind, they had stripped it down to like its most essential thing that there was no, like they, that these were people who wanted to be actors and models and music stars. And in some cases were sort of quasi on their way to that. But in the meantime, were being good looking and waiting tables in LA. And then like, <laughs> There was no pretense of anything other than them being, than them wanting to be on screen and wanting attention. And right. it was just sort of, so it, so it felt like all of the, you know, everything within the Real Housewives shows where it's like, right. theoretically, the thing that brings them all together is their wealth or, you know, <laughs> people who fix motorcycles. The reason why you're watching their lives is they have this skill. And this just sort of felt like, no, none of that. They are attractive and they desire stardom and they're living for it and it just felt like pure okay but then whenever you interviewed that guy from the show (laughs) why do you think it was that he kind of has this script that he sticks to when if you know he's just a guy that's handsome and wants to be famous why can't he just say whatever like why is he sticking to that script all the time yeah, that was super interesting for me. Uh, and it, Jax Taylor is the guy that, that I wrote this profile about <laughs> and then wrote about in the book. Um, and he, it was sort of like a really crystallized version of something that I guess I was thinking about in the whole book in like this weird relationship between like authenticity and performance. So yeah. he he was sort of constantly talking about authenticity and talking about the fact that what made his show good and what made him proud of his show is that they were authentic, that they were just these people who were already friends. And then the cameras came around and they were just being themselves. But then, like you say, he was so good at this very particular performance that had been set up um, that really worked for me. Um, and, and so I don't, it, it, it was less more in my mind of like, why is he doing this? And this strange sense of like, okay, on the one hand, I feel like this is a betrayal because I wanted him to somehow share his real self with me. But on the other hand, he was doing this thing that he does so well. And then in the moment when I was talking to him, I was totally captivated by it. Um, <laughs> and then it, it just kind of made me think about a lot of the other shows that, that I really like, where it is this weird sense where you don't, you don't necessarily think that you're seeing authentic, truthful, or even unscripted content. But if you are enjoying it, there's something about the person's performance. 
performance that feels authentic, even if that seems like an oxymoron. Right. Like he was performing authenticity. <laughs> right. That's exactly. so freaking weird. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Well, so, I mean, in the end, did that article end up being published about him? The, I did, like yeah. the, Okay, and did he comment on it, or had, did you get any feedback from him? No, I did. I got no feedback from him. To be perfectly honest, I got, um, I in in the article I wrote about the fact that uh, his PR person was there with us the whole time. Yeah. Um, because because that was something that I that in retrospect should not have surprised me. But if this guy is sort of professionally open, it seems sort of weird that. I, we were sort of being right. shattered by this PR presence, um, which which I was kind of into at a certain point and put in the article. Um, and then I got a displeased email from that PR person. Um, but I but I never heard from him. I have no idea how, how he felt about it. Well, that was very fascinating for me because uh, it's uh, I mean, for the same reason it was fascinating to you. That was a weird thing. But um, <laughs> OK, here's what I want to talk about. Rob Kardashian. Yeah. Let's dive into that nonsense. So in the book, okay. you talk a lot about Rob. And then, of course, at the end, you're like, P.S., since I wrote the book, he <laughs> <laughs> took a turn for the worst or whatever. Yeah. Um, can we – I just want you to unpack Rob for a hot second. Yeah. So <laughs> as to the, the latter part, right, and, you know, in, in a lot of ways that uh, it feels like are, are happening to – famous men that I have been interested in in the yeah. past couple of yeah. years. Um, there's all of this sort of almost by the numbers revelation that like actually all the things that for some reason read to me is like a, you know, recognizable and compelling sad boy that there's actually like a lot of really sinister shit wrapped up in sad boyness. Yeah. Um, that both can be true. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so for watching him on the show then, um, there was, it, it was just sort of, uh, he, just, he just seemed to carry the burden of being on TV, yeah. um, in a way that seemed like he just wasn't as happy with it or as good at it as his sisters or his mother were. Um, and, and in, in a very strange way, I think he became for me the most compelling part of the show because you we were watching all these people do so well under this under sort of the bright lights and then he was like in stark relief next to them and it almost felt like offered up as a reminder of like what it would feel like if you weren't kim kardashian to have that kind of attention on you um <laughs> well because then yeah like oh, he sorry, seems well he seems like i guess i wonder why more people in that position uh, to varying degrees uh, yeah. don't react the way he does. Why aren't there more people that are like, this is, uh, is this it? This feels hollow, um, unfulfilling. That seems to be what he was struggling with. And I wonder why that isn't the case for more people. Cause that's what I felt. And that's why I hit the road and quit doing it. But why don't we see more of that? Yeah. I mean, I would be so, it would be really, I, I'm interested in your perspective on sort of coming out on, on the other end. Um, and, and so for me, I can't answer that, but I, but, but what I was thinking then was that so much of the appeal for viewers, I think, is that you kind of 
mm. even if it's subconscious, are always having to ask yourself, like, why are they still here? Like, is this worth it? <laughs> and then, in, and then, in some cases, you sort of see people seem to like like Rob really interact more overtly with like, is this worth it? But then, even you know, there's like, the, I think on on the sort of Bravo Housewife shows, for whatever reason, it seems like the the reunion episodes get longer and longer and longer. And often those are so pained and you literally, they, 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 you know, during, after the commercial breaks, they show you a clip of a person having stormed off to the dressing room saying like, I don't want to go back out there. I don't want to go back out there. And they're actually sort of making explicit this negotiation that they have to have, um, which somehow makes it even more compelling when they go back out there. So in some ways it feels like the producers have almost like, anticipated the question that you're asking and like written it into the narrative of the shows yes you're so good at this like this is why your book (laughs) is great because you um have been able to you've basically cracked the case on how they do it and what they're doing and why it's simultaneously repulsive and attractive (laughs) (laughs) but i that's why i feel like i have to read your book again because there's so much that you do with this, the genre. So whenever you're consuming it, cause you and your wife enjoy these shows, do you, yeah. f- you, you kind of talk in the book about how there are various explanations for why otherwise decent people would watch these shows and, you know, <laughs> like loneliness or whatever. And do you think it's just different for each person or did you come to a conclusion about what is the appeal? I think for me, like I ultimately, by the end of the book, there were maybe parts in the book where it felt like I was trying to come to a clear conclusion or even sort of like come to a defense of these shows. Mm-hmm. And then it, it ended up sort of being more of like the the questions were more interesting for me. And, and I yeah. didn't really feel like there was a conclusion. And I do, I guess I'm more aligned with this idea of people have their reasons um, yeah. for engaging with, with sort of any form of art or popular culture. Um, and that the most compelling people that write about reality TV to me, there's like a lot of scholars that I talk to and write about a lot of the stuff that was most compelling was this emphasis on like, whatever you want to say about why people are watching these shows and if it's good or bad, they're like really intense, active engagements that are happening for each person. So like, whether it's good or bad, it's, it's certainly not mindless. And, and that's the one thing that it did feel like to me it was like, this doesn't feel mindless. This feels like a constantly shifting and fraught experience. Um, well, and so I'm sure that mine is different from from a lot of other people's, but I would be willing to say that I don't I don't think writing anybody's fandom of reality TV off is just sort of like I'm tired after a day of work and I want to turn my mind off. I, yeah. I just don't think that that's it. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Okay, so I have a question that I have asked into the ether for years, and I'm thinking that maybe you're the man that can finally answer it for me. So, oh God. When I, <laughs> no pressure. So... <laughs> 
whenever you're on these shows, there's this weird thing relationship between me as a cast member and the viewer where they might know who I am. They might know my name. They might know that I was on a particular show. Um, and they might want to talk about it, even if they just see me at the mall or at a restaurant or whatever. But yet there is, they also kind of are disgusted by me <laughs> for, for being on the mm. show. And I wonder why it is that the viewers of reality TV tend to like look down upon the people that are participating on the shows that they are themselves watching. That's really interesting. Um, and it's interesting to you because I, I, I guess I've always sort of wondered what that experience was like. Um, it sucks, man. <laughs> I, yeah. It, it must be so weird to have somebody like to somebody be like, Hey, like you re resonated enough with me right. that I notice you, but then also, um, <laughs> right. That's it, it's so. I mean, one of the things that I talked about with this one scholar, Mark Andreevich, was this idea of like he called it like a sort of like American Puritanism kind of thing, where it's this people are really uncomfortable with somebody getting something that they don't have without there being a discernible way to say that oh they earned it this way. This sort of like weird false idea of earning it, and so I started thinking about that in the book of this idea of like we love the idea of like having this what feels like intimate access to celebrities but then when you remove whatever the backstory of of like oh like i'm really interested in george clooney's buried life because george clooney is this actor and you essentialize it into just like oh i feel like i know something about this person's life they're more famous than me but how come they're more famous than me if i can't exactly put my finger on what it is that makes them more deserving i guess yeah i don't know if, if that seems yeah i right that is as good as an, an answer as any because I always find it strange. Like, I get it that a lot of reality people behave in a way that's unsavory. So we can, you know, judge that from our couches. But we're on our couches and they're at least on the show. So we right. could say maybe something nice. And And there's also, for me, one of the things that, ended up sort of happening writing the book was was more and more sort of being interested in you know i every book that i've written has been in some way personal and in some way sort of memoir-ish um and and so you know certainly because people don't read books there isn't like the fame but yeah. there is that sense of this weird thing of part of what you're doing yeah. feels like you are doing some sort of performance of yourself um, that feels like this distinct thing that lives in that moment that is providing somebody with entertainment or whatever. And then you actually encounter somebody who doesn't know you, but feels like they know you and mm -hmm. then feels like they have a right to, to, to judge you. Um, and, and so the sort of similarities between those impulses definitely clicked in my head, uh, during the book. What did your wife think about being included? Yeah, she, um, I think there's even a part later in the book where it sort of talks about her reading an early draft um, <laughs> and, and, and being like, you know, Jesus, this feels like I'm, I'm being watched. Um, right. And, you know, I think her process with it, like, she read multiple drafts and talked about it a lot. Um, and, and then by the end was like a real cheerleader about it. Um, but there definitely was like, there was sort of a conversation um, throughout it that sort of went from her being like, this is uncomfortable to her being like, 
I specifically don't understand what's happening here or here or here. Um, yeah. And, and so I, I can't speak to that other than just her being really generous ultimately. Um, and then also there were things where I was like, look, if there are scenes that feel not worth it or not right, tell me to take them out. And she did. And I did. Oh, okay. So she vetoed some stuff. For sure. Oh, okay. That's good. Um, <laughs> I agree with her and not you about um, intervention. Mm. I don't understand your <laughs> – like you feel that it's low-hanging fruit, it seems, right? Yeah. I mean, so for me, there's like a very specific thing that makes intervention interesting and in that I had a brother who died of an overdose. Oh. Um, so it's like whatever it's, it, 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 it always felt like a thing almost that I needed to say, like, this is too far. Okay. Um, but then ultimately it couldn't have been too far. Right. Because I sort of performed the fact that I was disgusted by it, but then we watched all the shows <laughs> together. You know? Yeah. But like, don't you feel like their mission at least superficially is altruistic? Yeah. I, but I don't know. Like, I don't, I think, I think that one of the things that is both really compelling about reality TV, but also maybe dangerous is the sense that like a narrative is built around things that might otherwise just sort of be like senseless things that happen. Um, and so I think what I was maybe resistant to in that, although again, ended up loving a lot of episodes was this idea that like you could reduce addiction into like, Mm. There was a trauma. This thing happened, and now we are healing this person. Um, that that, that seems sort of like a particular arena in which making a narrative out of people's messy lives felt like more loaded for me. Oh, okay. um, but in some ways, I think that's happening on every show. I mean, that's your right. You're taking, you're making forty cohesive minutes out of just people's lives. Yeah, I get what you're saying, though, that it's reductive and doesn't. Uh, allow for much nuance in terms of how addiction occurs. I don't know. I feel like but then if... again, like a lot of things do. Like I, I think <laughs> I don't think intervention is alone in <laughs> in reducing addiction. <laughs> you know? Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I just actually got off the phone doing another interview with this guy named John Brennan, who was on season two of The Real World, the one that was in Los Angeles, and he wore a yeah. cowboy hat. And yeah, totally. I was so excited to talk to him because I really love to hear what it was like for those people where there really wasn't any other reality TV at the time that he filmed. Yeah. And I, I do think it was a more, I don't know, it seemed more no, noble and pure. And that's at least their impression of it while whilst filming the people that I have spoken to, that they felt like they weren't being manipulated or anything. Do you yeah. feel like... Because you even talk about the San Francisco real world and, like, people often refer to that and the the way that they um, dealt with Pedro and the HIV positive yeah. issue. And you kind of said that we all hope that that's what it could be, reality TV. And then and then it wasn't ever, <laughs> ever again. Um, yeah. Why do you think that is? Because it was such a, an important season – and did good things, at least, it seemed. Why didn't they keep doing yeah. that, Lucas? Answer me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I mean, did you feel like, like, did you, like, when you were on the show, not to turn it around, but, like, did, did, did you feel like 
you identified like did it feel different than what you had watched that came before and then when you watched later seasons where you're like oh this seems like a a sort of bastardized version of what we did yeah for me um i started in 1998 so it was before the other shows like survivor and stuff and yeah. then at, as soon as survivor aired everything changed in terms of production mm. um because there was more competition i guess and they thought they had to do things that, you know, vote people off and create more drama. But those early days, I really felt like it was about good storytelling and honest narratives and everyone was in on it. Like we knew we were being exploited a little bit, but we could get something out of it. So it felt like a fair trade. Yeah. But then it didn't that, anymore afterwards. <laughs> that's really interesting. Like this, I, I like that. It was like, look, everybody always knew that what was happening but then the like if the trade just becomes not fair at a certain point yeah like the um, cost benefit analysis <laughs> that's that's super that's super interesting I, I do think i mean i think you're right or like at least for me as a viewer it definitely you look back on on earlier real worlds and then even like earlier just any even even from that sort of like survivor boom era things mm -hmm. feel somehow different then than they do now um but I also think it's it's interesting that at, at every point in, and I read about this a little, like at every point in what you would want to call reality TV's lineage, people have always, like like reviewers have always not been comfortable with and didn't like what was there. Yeah. Like it's not like people watched the first season of The Real World <laughs> and were like, yes, this is important documentary. Right, you're right. People turned up their noses at it. Yeah. And then so it feels like every generation there's a nostalgia for this purity that came before. But then if you look, then everybody was sort of up in arms about like, this can't be real. These people don't even know each other. And now they're living in a house. Like this doesn't make any sense. You know? <laughs> well, but so I the, think it's both. Don't you think though, that the Pedro storyline did feel like important and that this could be really a way that the genre moves forward. And then it turns out it felt like it, it ended up being just an exception. Yeah, I think that's totally I think that's totally true. And and I I think I read about it in the book that I mean, I remember being in high school and feeling like something changed on the real world Las Vegas season and then yeah. it was interesting to then read scholarship that identifies like the real world Las Vegas season as this thing where whatever hopes for having another Pedro kind of thing uh <laughs> were shelved and it was like they're at the top of the casino, there's a jacuzzi big enough to fit four people. And, you know, we're just going to roll. Right. Like um, our hopes died in that hot tub. <laughs> right, right, right. Or, <laughs> you know, at the time, my, my like 14 year old hopes were exactly on point. But in that <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, maybe that's why it continued on in that vein, though, because that was appealing to the viewer on some level. Right. No, for sure. I, I would I would imagine so. What do you think about, you know how obviously people refer to the whole situation as the guilty pleasure, whatever bachelor show they watch or housewives, yeah. and that there's this intrinsic um, idea of shame within that that you talk about in the book. Can you describe what you mean by that when you write about it? Yeah, that. I, that sort of the idea of a guilty pleasure, I actually think that, that, that if that does exist, then it exists in a more like that the guilt is part of the pleasure. Yeah. Um, and so I don't think for me, 
And I think for a lot of people, you can't separate the experience of watching these shows and being a fan of these shows with the knowledge of the fact that you wouldn't necessarily like to tell everybody in your life about the fact that you watch these shows or that, that you sort of, um, that there's something covert about it. Um, and that, and that when I think about it for me, this spending so, uh, you know, a decent amount of my evenings watching these shows with my wife when we could be doing other things that that sense of oh man like are why are we doing this are we not better than this even as we're enjoying it that that's sort of part that's always been part of what the experience is and i can't really separate all of these feelings of sort of shame and self-questioning from the pleasure of watching well, I mean, right. And that's the thing is that there's no answer to all of this. <laughs> now you're my therapist and I apologize, but <laughs> like, I appreciate that you're continuing this dialogue because whether people like it or not, this is an important part of our popular culture and the things that people consume have consequences. And I think you did such a great job in your piece in the Atlantic talking about the Trump reality TV connection And that's what, don't you think like, that's why this conversation has to take place? Yeah, I I think so. I mean, I think it's a really uncomfortable conversation to have, obviously. And in some ways for a lot of people, myself included, Trump's lineage as a reality star and then seeing him up there with actual power is the most intensely fraught thing to come out of participating in reality TV culture. Um, it, but it seems like one option that people are taking or is, is to write it as though, as though I see none of myself in this, I see mm-hmm. none of my participation in this, or, you know, I mentioned in late in the book, like the writer, Jennifer Weiner wrote a piece for the New York times. That was sort of like, I used to love the bachelor yes. back when I didn't realize the stakes that it had now, Donald Trump's president, his brand of reality TV misogyny is running the world. I'll never watch the bachelor again. Um, and, and I, I totally get that impulse, but I don't know if that's more productive than being like, why do I like the bachelor? (laughs) What is it about this that as much as I don't want it to be is appealing and that I sort of find a certain amount of my enjoyment and identity. And I, I think those are much harder things to think about. Um, but I don't think we can just turn our minds off into, oh, now I'm a person who has more altruistic interests and leave it all behind. Yeah. Well, that's why your book is amazing. Again, it's like (laughs) dealing with these bigger questions about what are my desires? What do I crave? What do I lack? And in what way is reality TV or other, you know, uh, entertainment filling those voids? And it's such a great book. So I don't know. I could go on and on. I really have a million more questions, but I'll spare you because I've already gone too long. But um, we ask everybody one question at the end, which is what do you keep in the trunk of your car? If you have a car. I do. Okay. Uh, let's hear it. Let's hear it. God, what do I keep in the trunk of my car? Just like a, a, a ice scraper for the winter. That's it. Yeah, it's a, it's pretty, it's pretty weak. Um, actually, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a college professor and I think also the only time I ever use like a graduation gown is when I go to my student's graduation and then I think I just throw it in the trunk the rest oh of the year. Oh my so God, that's so <laughs> sad. I know, right? 
Yeah, I, yeah, uh, only the, the bare essentials. You know what? That says something. I will have to analyze your answer because we believe it oh, no. tells us who you are at this moment in your life, whatever's in your trunk. If I would have known that, I would have lied. Um, <laughs> no, I like it. It's a, it's a nice <laughs> scraper, which is very practical, useful, <laughs> and also tells us where you, you know, what climate you live in. <laughs> you're and right, then, yeah. you know, that you're a university professor that doesn't believe in folding <laughs> clothes or putting them in those are all true things those are all true things (laughs) well you're off the hook thank you so much for coming on the show and i cannot wait to thank you this was great everybody's feedback on your amazing book thanks a lot thank you and i will uh let you know when it posts and i'll keep singing your praises because you're awesome thanks this was really fun i really appreciate it my pleasure for real i'll probably send you like a million follow-up questions because i'm obsessed sure. but you know i'll i'll let you go for now <laughs> thanks and and uh if you are around la when i'm i think uh the reading is on june 6th but i'm around for a couple of days uh yeah i'd love to say hi yes i will harass you again because i want to make that happen cool thank you so much have a great day thank you you too bye bye look around you can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.